Heavenly Father, we come to your word. And we ask that you will speak to us. Speak to us through your Holy Spirit, dwelling within each and every person who calls Jesus their Lord and Saviour. And yet, also able to speak into the hearts of men, women, children, old and young. And so we ask that you will speak to our hearts today. Lord Jesus, help us to see the truth, help us to see you, the word of life, that we might find life in you as we hear from you. And so we commit our time now to you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you want peace? Do you want freedom? Do you want calm? Do you want this peace that Jesus promises? Do you want peace? Many people in our world are looking for peace. And yet I wonder where we look. Where do we look for peace? Our minds think of control. That peace is to have control over circumstances. But if we have learned anything this year, it is that we do not have control. We do not have control in this world. And therefore, we cannot have peace. Throughout history, we have seen wars and devastation, natural disasters, all of which lie outside of the control of man. And yet we still try, don't we? We try to have control over our lives, in our work, in our study, in our families, in our relationships, in our attitude, in our character. The list goes on. We seek to have control so that we might have peace. We seek to find that good job so that we have the sort security of money. We try and have good relationships, friendships, marriages, good children that behave. We try and control these things so that we have peace. We tell ourselves that we just need to set our mind right, that we need to find inner peace, as, a, as the mantra goes. But so often that seems out of grasp. And in this story, this familiar resurrection story, we see Jesus' disciples and his friends wrestle with this question. They thought they had found peace in Jesus, but he goes to the cross. The king is dead. And so we see his friends and disciples respond. How do they respond now that their dreams of peace have been crucified on the cross? But we also see how Jesus responds to them. And so we come to our story, we come to our passage of the resurrection. So please follow along as we go through. We have here 
the day where Mary comes. It's the first day of the week. She comes to the tomb and she sees that the stone has been rolled away. She freaks out and she despairs. She runs to the disciples, Peter and John, the beloved disciple. And she says to them that the Lord has been taken away. There's no other, there's no other reason, there's no other solution to what she's witnessed. Her mind has been made up. Someone has taken Jesus away. And so Peter and John race to the tomb. John gets there first. He looks in, but he doesn't go in. Simon comes, Simon Peter comes and he looks in. He goes in. He sees the cross there. After that, John then enters. And we're told something interesting. Verse 8, as John enters and he sees the empty tomb, he saw and believed. You see that? He saw and believed. He saw an empty tomb and he believed. But we're told in verse 9, that they did not fully understand, that he did not fully understand what he saw. And I'll just make a brief point here. To be a Christian, to have faith in Jesus, to believe in Jesus, does not mean that you have to understand everything. doesn't mean that you have to know the Bible back to front. doesn't mean that you have to understand how God works. It doesn't mean that you have to understand how the Christian life works. We're so tempted to think that we have to reach a certain standard, we have to reach a certain level to really have faith. But that's not what we see here. We see John going into the tomb, he sees the empty tomb, and he believes. He doesn't understand, but he believes. Now what he believes, we'll unpack this as we go through. Let's continue with the story. Now the disciples return home. Mary is left on her own at this point. Mary at the tomb is crying, she is weeping, she is grieving. Why? Because Jesus, her king, is gone. Why is Jesus so precious to her? Well, we only really know this about Mary, Mary Magdalene. She was demon-possessed and Jesus delivered her of her demons, seven demons. And because of that, she joined Jesus' financial team. She financially supported Jesus. And so we have this woman who has been delivered of her ailments, of her demons. We don't know what they are. But she's been given this new life by Jesus. So she supports him. She follows him. She is one of the few people at the cross. The disciples aren't there, but she is with a few other women. And so she has lost her king. She has lost the one who has given her new life. And so as she is crying, she is weeping, she is grieving. She looks into the tomb and the angels are there. They ask her why she is crying. And she receives no comfort from them. 
she turns around and Jesus is there, but she doesn't realize that it's him. And he asks her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? And we're told that she thinks he's the gardener. Do you, I want you to hear this. She's desperate for Jesus. And so she turns to this gardener. If you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. We see Mary's desperation for Jesus in her grief. And I don't know if you've lost people who are precious to you, but there is a grieving that people go through when you lose something precious. And that's what we see here with Mary. But in the middle of her grief, how does Jesus respond? Jesus calls out her name, Mary. And immediately she recognizes him and cries out in her deepest heart. She cries out in Aramaic. That's her, the language of her heart. She cries out, teacher. I don't know if you remember, but Jesus said earlier in this gospel, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know my voice. Here, the great shepherd, the good shepherd, knows his sheep, Mary, and calls out her name. And she knows his voice, and she responds. We have a good shepherd who knows us, who treasures us, who knows us by name. He knows every fibre of our being and he calls out to us. Do we hear his voice? Do we recognise his voice? But Jesus responds to her, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father. Even though Jesus has appeared to Mary, he speaks to her very carefully. And he says, do not hold on to me. Don't hold on to this earthly experience of me. Because I am not staying. I am returning. I am ascending to my Father. I am going to return to him and sit at his right hand. What does that mean for us? What is that about? See, Mary had this earthly experience of Jesus. She had been healed of her demons. She had been a disciple who had followed Jesus and experienced all that he had taught and all that he had done. But Jesus says, don't hold on to this. Yes, I am alive. I'm not dead. I am alive. But don't hold on to this. Don't hold on to this earthly experience because I am going to the farm. How do we understand that today? For most of us, we encounter Jesus, we experience Jesus in earthly ways, in earthly means. We hear about Jesus at church. We hear about Jesus from our family and our friends. We hear about Jesus 
through gospel ministries, through the study of the Bible. We, we interact, we encounter Jesus, we experience Jesus in these earthly terms, in these earthly ways. And that's okay. Church is precious. It's why we miss meeting together. It's why we miss gathering together, because it's where we get a taste of Jesus. But Jesus says here, do not hold on to me. Don't hold on to these earthly experiences. Don't hold on to these earthly things. Because I'm not here. I am now, for us, now in heaven at my Father's side. And I think of the words of Paul. He writes to the Colossians. Since you have been raised with Christ, set your mind on heavenly things, not on earthly things. Jesus wants us to turn our eyes away from earthly things to heavenly things. He wants to turn our eyes away from the things of this world that are temporal, that we can touch, that we can see, to things of heaven, things of the spirit, things above. It reminds me of the old hymn, turn your eyes upon Jesus and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Now I'll be the first to admit that this is hard. You wake up in the morning and you just have so many things that just flood your world. But Jesus says, no, don't hold on to these things. Turn your eyes to me, me at the Father's side, on the throne in heaven. We have a king who sits on the throne of heaven and wants us to engage with him, to meet with him, to walk with him. And it is there that we find peace. When we turn our eyes away from the things of this world and we look to the king who sits on the throne, we can find peace. And that's what he calls us to do. And Mary Magdalene, having met Jesus and hearing these words, runs to the disciples and says, I have seen the Lord. Mary goes and shares her experience of Jesus with those around her. And so now we come to the disciples who, on that evening, were meeting together in a house and they were in a and the doors were locked out of fear. Why were they afraid? Why were they so afraid? Because their king was dead. The king that they had followed these three years, this teacher, this rabbi, who had spoken of the kingdom of God and the coming of the kingdom of God, they had dreamed that they would be freed from Roman rule. They were, they were dreaming of a day when pure faith and religion would be restored and their relationship with God would be renewed. 
And they would be a part of that. They would be part of this kingdom mission. They dreamed as they walked with Jesus, but Jesus is dead. The king, their king is dead. And so because of that, they are afraid that the Jewish leaders will come and get them too. You remember Peter denied Jesus in the face of those who questioned him because he was afraid. But Jesus, even through locked doors in his new resurrection body, walks in and he stands among them. And what does he say? Peace be with you. Peace be with you. He showed them his hands and his side. And what is the result? The result is joy. So you can't meet Jesus and not experience joy. See, there's something about meeting Jesus and being filled with joy. You can't. You can't meet Jesus and not have joy. doesn't work. The disciples see the resurrected Jesus and they are filled with joy. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. And listen to this. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And so he breathes on them. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive one, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. See, this mission that the disciples had with Jesus, that he was bringing them on for these three years, walking with them, is still on. This mission is still on. Jesus still has a mission to accomplish. He is still doing the work of the kingdom. And so as he has been sent, we've seen this all through the gospel, Jesus is the one sent by God, and now he is sending out his disciples. But again, he reminds them, you're not doing this alone. He breathes on them, receive the Holy Spirit. See, to be on mission with God, to be on mission with the Father and the Son, is to be empowered and enabled by the Holy Spirit. You can't do it on your own. You do it on your own and it all falls apart. The ambassador of a country has no authority on his own except what he is given by his country. And so as ambassadors of Jesus on mission for Jesus, our authority and our power comes from the Holy Spirit. But understand this, and this is what verse 33, 23 is about. Right, Jesus says, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, the English there makes it a bit hard to understand because this is what Jesus is not saying. He is not saying that you have the power to decide who is forgiven and who is not forgiven. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that as a disciple on mission for Jesus, as you take the gospel message out into the world, when you proclaim that message, when you share with people about Jesus, if they hear that, they will be forgiven. But if you choose not to tell people about Jesus, then the opportunity is lost. 
There is no opportunity to be forgiven. Because it is God who forgives. Okay? Their sins are forgiven, not by you, not by the disciples, but by God. So what Jesus is saying is as we go on mission, as we go out into the world, as we share Jesus with people around us, we present the gift of forgiveness to them. And God will take that and use that to forgive their sin. We are messengers. We are just the courier of this gift. We deliver. We don't decide. These disciples who are on mission with Jesus are told, peace be with you. They are filled with joy. And in that place of peace and joy, they are sent out. We are sent out as disciples of Jesus with the Holy Spirit. And remember, the Holy Spirit is Jesus' presence and his gift with us, indwelling us, so that we can shine the light of Jesus, that we can shine the light of the gospel into our world. And as we do that, people's sins are forgiven. We don't do that, but God does. We get to play a part in that work. What a privilege that is to share the forgiveness of sin with other people. But in that group of disciples, one of them was missing, Thomas. Thomas wasn't there. The disciples told him, but he didn't believe. What does he say in response? Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, a lot of people have said that Thomas is this great doubter of Jesus. But I don't see that. Yes, he doesn't believe. But if he was there with the disciples that first time, would this story be told? I don't think so. I mean, if Thomas was with the disciples the first time, he would believe. But he wasn't there. He wanted to see for himself the risen Jesus. And I think of Thomas more as the rational one, the one who wants to put things to the test. It makes me think about my dad. When my dad came to faith, it was not on the basis of anyone's testimony or the sharing of the gospel. It was his own personal search for Jesus. He wanted to make absolutely sure that this Jesus was worth giving his life to. And so he searched Jesus, he tested Jesus, he opened the scriptures, and he read for himself and tested him. And when he was sure, he gave his life to Jesus. And some of us are like that, aren't we? We like things to be sure. We like to think through them. We like to have rational arguments and make sure that what we believe is true. 
And that's okay. But I want us to pay attention to what happens to Thomas. A week later, the disciples are gathered and Thomas is there. The doors are still locked. They're still afraid for some reason. Jesus comes again, walks through the doors, walks through the walls, whatever it is. And Jesus says, peace be with you. And immediately he says to Thomas, repeating his own words, put your finger here, see my hands, reach your hand and put it in my side. Jesus knows Thomas's heart. But listen to these words. Stop doubting and believe. Stop doubting and believe. Fortunately, Thomas takes these words to heart and he responds in praise, my Lord and my God. He recognises that the resurrected Jesus is standing before him. But hear what Jesus has to say. Stop doubting and believe. And I think some of you need to hear that. What more do you need from God to believe? What more do you need? See, we have we have this book. You want to test the credibility of this book, go ahead. You want to test the historical value of the gospel story, go ahead. You want to test whether this philosophy of the gospel makes sense, go ahead. You want to test whether this all makes sense and fits together, go ahead and do that. And I encourage you to do that. Search for Jesus. But at some point, hear the words of Jesus. Stop doubting and believe. You cannot keep pushing and pushing and pushing. At some point, you must see the truth and believe. We have so much available to us today that points us to the truth of the gospel story. But I really have to ask the question, what is stopping you from believing? And if, it's, if our experience is anything to go by, in most cases, it's not the evidence, but our experience. Whether it's because we've been hurt, by the church or by Christian, whether it's because we've been disappointed by people, whether our assessment of the world has caused us to be cynical, <coughs> the evidence points to Jesus. And at some point, we have to stop doubting and believe. Maybe you have been hurt or disillusioned by church or people. Maybe you look at the world and wonder how this could make any sense. 
But as you come to the Word of God, as you come and you examine the evidence there is in history, in testimony, in philosophy, in science, in so many things, I have to tell you, you've got to look at Jesus, not the world. Just like Mary, do not hold on to the things of this world. Look at Jesus. Look at him. Turn your eyes away from all this stuff that holds you back. Stop doubting and believe. It's okay to go through that process of thinking through the faith trying to make sense of it and understand it, to study it and test it and prove it. That, that's fine. But at some point you have to stop and go, what do I do with this? Will I believe? Will you be like Thomas that sees the proof and says, my Lord and my God. I can guarantee you that Thomas didn't fully understand what he was saying. Just like John at the beginning, who didn't understand what he saw, they both believed. My Lord and my God. <coughs> Jesus told him in response, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. What will it take for you to believe? What is it that we are meant to believe with? What is it that gives us peace? What is it that Jesus offers? Well, we read at the end of this chapter. Jesus performs many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. Listen to this. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Jesus, the King, who has ascended to the Father and sits at his right hand, offers us life. He is the Messiah, the promised Saviour from the very beginning. He is the promised one who will crush the head of the serpent in the Garden of Eden. He is the promised Messiah who will fulfil the promises to Abraham and will be a blessing to the nations. He is the promised king of David who will sit on the throne of God forever. He is the promised saved Messiah, the Lamb of God, who will take away the sins of the world. He is the Son of God who reveals to us the Father, who reveals his love, his grace and his mercy to us. Will you believe and will you find peace in this risen King today? 
This peace is found when we turn our eyes away from the things of this world and look to Him. And each and every day we we make that decision. Ideally, it'd be the decision we make when we get out of bed. Before we are faced with the things of our day, that we turn our eyes to Jesus and we say, My Lord and my God, give me peace. It is because he is Lord. It is because he is God. It is because he sits on the throne of heaven and earth that we can have peace. He is in control. He is sovereign. He can deal with our demons. He can deal with all the things that weigh on our heart. He can deal with them all and offer us peace. He calls us by name. But he also sends us out. He sends us out in peace. We can go into our world not in fear, not in trembling, not worrying about what people will think about, but instead we can go in peace. We can go in joy that we know Jesus. We can go into the world sent by him with the Holy Spirit to proclaim forgiveness of sins to anyone who would hear. And to the things that fill our mind, the questions, the doubts, the searching for truth, even there Jesus offers us peace. Because he knows. He knows all things. He knows the things of our heart. He knows the things of our mind. He knows them all and he says, peace be with you. Peace be with you. The only thing that keeps us going as Christians each day is this peace. It is this knowledge, it is this experience, it is this truth that Jesus is Lord and God. That is what gives us peace. That's what gives us reason to get up each day and face whatever the day holds. Whether it's our work, whether it's our study, whether it's difficult people, difficult children, difficult family circumstances, uncertain financial situation, uncertainty about the future. We can have peace because Jesus is Lord and God over all of them. Do you know that peace? Do you know this Jesus? I can't stress that enough. Peace, joy and life is found only when you know Jesus. The Jesus that sits on the throne of heaven at God's right hand. So will you believe in him? Believe in his name that you may have life, joy and peace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come and we thank you for what you have done for us in sending the Lord Jesus to be our peace, to be the King who would go to the cross and die for our sins 
who would conquer sin and death and all that this world might throw at us. You are King Jesus, Lord and God. And we pray for those of us who know you that we will seek your peace each and every day. And for those who are of us who are not sure and who do not know this peace, Holy Spirit, will you open their eyes to see, see the peace and life that is offered in Jesus. And as people who have received this peace, send us out that the world might know your peace and find forgiveness of sin and life in the name of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, in whose name we pray. Amen.